Hello, everyone, and welcome to another uh, episode of Deep Cuts. If you're watching this live, it's uh, a different time than we usually do it, but I have a very special guest here today, and I'm very excited to speak to him. Um, for those of you who don't know, I'm your host, Antoine Reed, and today's special guest is John Hooper from Crown Heads. Um, John is someone that I've followed in the industry since I've been in the industry. I always thought his brand and his approach to business was super unique, so I'm looking forward to just talking to him today and diving into his story and uh, sharing that with you all today. So let me bring on our guest. How are Antoine, you? How are, I'm doing well, Antoine. How are you? I'm doing well. Like I was uh, saying in the intro, whenever I, when Deep Cut started to catch on and I was thinking about all the different people I would want to have on here, like you were one of those first people because Crown Heads is so unique uh, in the mm. cigar industry. Um, and your story as well is just so unique that it was definitely one of those people I was like, how are we unique? Let me ask, I'm gonna turn the table on you real quick. How are we unique? How do you feel that Crown Heads is unique? Well, I feel like you're unique in that you seem to, when I first got into the industry in 2010, people mm -hmm. who had boutique quote unquote brands, which I don't know what boutique means anymore. Exactly. I don't think a lot of people do, but people who had boutique brands were like the underdogs. <laughs> And now I think, you know, because of the way that you and people like Matt Booth and Pete Johnson have connected with people and you haven't subscribed to this idea that the cigar industry is all about the suits yes. and the ties and the yachts and the aficionado title, right. you stay to yourself. Right. And I think that's what makes it unique because I feel like things in the industry have changed since I first got into the industry in 2010. Yeah. When it all like it was, you know, it was the high, like I said, the yachts and the luxury Rolex watches and things that right. people couldn't really afford. Right. And like I said, the boutique title was like almost like tossed around like, oh, they're boutique, so they don't matter. Yeah. Yeah. But now I think you all have completely flipped the script. And so <laughs> some of these larger iconic brands while are they're trying boutique, to be boutique. Right. It's right. like they're trying to figure out the way, but I think it's a little bit like behind the eight ball because yeah. people know you, they know your face. You all haven't been afraid about putting, attaching your names and your faces to the brands and mm -hmm. to the process. So that's why, long story short, I, I feel appreciate like that. I, I take that as a compliment. I, I think your definition and probably mine as well of that word boutique is probably more what you're looking for is like authentic. I mean, guys like that you reference, like Pete, Matt, myself, I mean, we just always been true to ourselves and been authentic. And I think that over the last decade, that's what people have gravitated towards more than, you know, uh, you know, $150,000 cars in, in certain magazines and what have you. So I, I think by way of attrition, we've kind of redefined luxury, I guess, in our industry and made it more approachable, more accessible. And I think people will connect with that. I don't, and I don't think it's just about the luxury aspect of cigars as it is the leisure part and how you spend your time, mm. which all kind of ties into the whole experience because, you know, cigars are, are something that, you know, back in the past, like if you look at, I think society as a whole, they kind of look at cigars as something that, you know, the rich hotty toddy people sure. smoke. But if you spend time in a cigar lounge or at a trade show or any other cigar event, you see that it's just, thousands of different different demographics and backgrounds. It's not just, you know, the luxury or the the, the rich people. It's everyone. Yeah, it's like absolutely. 
I, I've always kind of uh, referred to cigars as the common denominator. And in that, mm -hmm. I, I mean that you go to a cigar store or a lounge where people are smoking and you could have a doctor who makes a million dollars a year sitting across from a construction worker that makes $50,000 a year. And that the common denominator is, what are you smoking? You know, And then you strike up that conversation. It's kind of like the, the barbershop of the years gone by. Now it's that place where people can, it doesn't matter what demographic you're from, what your political beliefs are, or what your, your income is. It's like you share that common denominator. And that is the, the love for, for a good cigar. And, you know, we both referenced the word luxury. And I think when you get down to it, the only real luxury anybody has is time. Because right now there's a guy worth millions of dollars probably on his deathbed. And he would give it all just to have a little bit more time, right? So luxury, time is luxury. And how you spend it is the ultimate luxury. So, you know, what we do, providing this for somebody to spend an hour and a half of their day to escape and to you know really enjoy that moment that's that's luxury right more so than fancy cars and watches and and things like that oh definitely and i think we'll probably dive into to that topic um later on in this hour but before we get into that i want people to kind of understand who you are and how you came into the cigar industry because i know it's like i said a, a very different story than I think what people think is a typical cigar story, which tends to be my family grew tobacco or yeah. we need cigars for generations and I'm picking up the mantle and carrying it on into, you know, the, the bold future. So right. you, what did you do before you got into cigars and then how did you kind of land in the industry? Wow. How much time do we have? Um, <laughs> what I did before cigars. So, um, I guess, you know, I could kind of spare you a lot of, of time and, and just tell you that I had moved to Nashville back in like 94, five, something like that. And I was really kind of going through the whole, like, I got to find myself type of thing. And, and I, I was doing some soul searching to try to figure out what is it that, that I, that really pulls me into something that I didn't want a job anymore because I had a lot of really bad jobs, you know, and I, I wanted to do something where it felt like I wasn't working for a living. And I remember there was a photographer friend of mine in Los Angeles when I lived in LA and he gave me some of the best advice I ever got. And that was find what you're passionate and love to do and you'll never work. And the money will take care of itself. Don't chase the bag. Don't chase money. Because if you find what you love to do, you'll spend the hours that are required to become very good at it and the money will follow. It'll take care of itself. Don't worry about that. Don't chase money. And I thought that was really good advice. So at, at that point when I had moved here, I was actually working a temp job and it was horrible, man. It was just like a line of long. I've had jobs that range from selling telemarketing pet shampoo in LA to being a private trainer, you know, commercial real estate. I went through all of that. And um, so when I got to Nashville, I took this temp job, hated it. And I happened to go into a cigar shop years ago by accident. I was looking for a gift to take back to my father in California to visit him for the holidays. And I was like, Oh, there's a cigar store. That'd be kind of a, a cool guy's gift, you know, a man's gift, what have you. And I went in there. I'll never forget. I was on my way to the airport, actually. And as soon as I walked into this humidor, like the smell of the, the cedar and the tobacco marrying it, whatever, it just, it was like a, literally like an epiphany without being too corny about it. And I was like, oh my God, this is awesome. Look at this, you know? And so I went through the whole spiel and I got my cigars and I took them back, smoked them. And I was like, man, there's something really cool about this. 
I go into a wine store when I get back to Nashville and I find this magazine on the counter and it's Cigar Aficionado. It's the George Burns cover from whatever. And I, I buy it and I go home and I just, you know, read it front to back, learn about cigars, save up whatever money I've got at the end of each week. And I go back to the cigar store, buy three or four cigars based on the ratings, I smoke them. I take my little notes and everything. And I'm like, all of a sudden I realize this is really what I want to do. How do I get into this? And, you know, there's at that point, there's no social media. There's no sliding into a DM or any of that stuff. <laughs> so I, I literally just I would make it like a project where I would write letters to all these different companies and, and, and try to contact them. And, you know, most of the people didn't write back to me. Cigar Fishing All Magazine actually did write back to me. I got a nice rejection letter from the senior editor at the time, Gordon Mott. And I cherished that letter. I was like, that's cool. At least he responded, you know, <laughs> and um, I couldn't even get a job at that cigar store. They wouldn't hire me for $7 an hour as a clerk. And I was just like, and I literally was on the last page of that magazine. And I see this ad and it says CAO International 830 Kendall Drive, Nashville, Tennessee. And I'm like, wait a second. I got to figure this out. This, this company is in Nashville. So I call and um, I find the owner's name, John O'Osgoner, rest in peace. And I write a letter and I send it. I hear nothing for like months and I completely forget about everything. And I'm like, God, this kind of sucks. I get a phone call in my office phone one day and it's a voicemail message. I'm like trying to figure out who that is. And then it's like, and it was Jono. And so I call him back and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. I'm the guy that wrote the letter. And he's like, well, you know, I'm just kind of starting this business and uh, I'm not sure if there's anything here for you, but I'd like to meet you. I'm like, sure. So I go in there and I, I interview with him and um, I go back for a second interview. And he said, you know, we're really just getting this thing started. This is like 1996. Um, but I need somebody to like manage the shipping area. I'm like, I'm your guy. I'll be the best shipping manager. I can do this. I got it. You know, I had no experience with this whatsoever, but I talked my way into it. And I said, just give me what I'm making now at this temp job and let me try to prove myself to you. And he gave me a, ch a chance. Um, and then like during the first five months, it became so ingrained with this whole culture that I started to figure out ways to promote that company. And one day I was listening to um, a radio spot in the morning. And one of the, the prizes they had for this contest at this radio show was uh, two tickets to a prize fight, closed circuit and a box of cigars. And I was just like, huh. So I call KDF, rock format radio station, and somebody picks up the phone. And I say, where are you getting these cigars? Well, we don't know. Uh, we just thought it'd be a cool gift. It kind of goes hand in hand watching a boxing match. I said, well, listen, I work at this company. And I said, I will trade you out boxes of cigars for a little promo. Just give me a plug. Okay. So we do that. And then I go back to the radio station. I said, you know, cigars are kind of a thing right now. They're kind of a, a cool thing. Why don't we do a, 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 a drive-in thing where I, I become you know, during drive time, I'll answer some questions about cigars and uh, mind you, I've been doing this for five months. And so we do that. And so I do like four or five weeks of this stuff before work. And then I uh, compile this like little cassette tape back in those days. And I go over these spots and I come in one morning and I play it for Jono. And he's like, this guy's really good. He knows what he's talking about. Who is this guy? We should hire him. I said, this is me. <laughs> and he says, he goes, you're terrible at shipping. He goes, you're going to be the director of promotions and public relations. I'm like, let's go. So I got a new business card. And then that was pretty much how it all started. And then in, I think, what was it? July of that year, I started in April. By July, I was at my first trade show. 
and I was just like throwing into the deep end. And, you know, that's really where it all began. At what age were you when you realized working that regular nine to five was not your thing? <laughs> oh, I knew when I was 17 that I didn't want to work a nine to five. I knew right away, ever since I was young, I said, I never knew exactly what I wanted to do. I just knew what I didn't want to do. And I didn't want to be normal. I, I knew that I wanted to do something that was different and I wanted to be the best at it. Those were my only criteria for what my, my career path would be, but I just didn't know what that was going to be. And then once I got in that lane with, with cigars and then it, you know, the rest of it kind of took care of itself. So when you were working at CEO and you're working with John, what did he kind of teach you about the business? And I know that's probably a, again, at one of those open, wide open questions that could take forever, but was there anything in particular that he really taught you about the cigar oh, business? John O, he's, I mean, I always say that I've got, I've had like maybe four or five mentors, right. In my entire lifetime. And he's certainly um, one of them. He taught me so much more than just business. It was, he, he was a, a life coach, really, you know, um, the things that, that I learned from John were so invaluable to this day that I, it's something that I want to teach my kids. It's like, he had these different sayings, like one of them was make it happen. And it was just this ideology that like, you can do anything. The only person holding you back is yourself. Mm -hmm. Think of something and then just go and do it. It sounds really simple, but I, I've always said, like, if you had a hundred people in a room and they want it, you ask them what you want to do. And 99 of them are going to be scared that they'll fail. And so you, your chances are 90 of them. You know, your chances are so much better if you just go for it and just try. At least if you fail, you tried, right? But not knowing if you ever could have made that happen is the worst feeling. And Jono was very much, you know, and I'll give you a, a concrete example. Mm -hmm. One day we were in the office, small group of us, and somebody mentioned that they were smoking cigars on this HBO show called The Sopranos. And somebody said, hey, we should try to get our, our cigar on the Sopranos. And John said, make it happen. And <laughs> as simple as that. And, and I was like, OK, let me try to figure this out. And I had been in contact. I'd been approached by a, a product placement company in L.A. And, you know, they always they you know give us X amount of money and we'll place you in 25 different movies and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I call the guy and I literally just said, look, I don't care about any of that. What is it worth just to get it on this one show let's figure something out and we did and that led to what became a licensed project for cao called cao the sopranos edition but that's just a small one small story of like jano's you know he's a very spiritual man too he was just a very good soul great guy and he taught me so much about just life making things happen you know not and he always told us he's like hey if you're not happy here go do something else because I want people to be happy. And if you find something you love to do, you'll never work a day in your life. And again, I heard that. And, you know, since April 15th, 1996, when I started in the industry with Jono, I've never worked. I don't feel like I've worked a day on my life. It's always been something I look forward to going to the office. Or I look forward to, you know, creating and, and being part of something. So, um, yeah, he was, he was a huge, huge impact on my life. And at the point where, CAO, for those who don't know, were, was acquired by General Cigar. I guess it was General Cigar at the time. Well, initially it was acquired by Henry Winterman's, right? So, okay. and then Henry Winterman's was acquired later on. The typical big fish 
Figurefish right. kind of thing. They they get bought out by STG, and General absorbs CAO, and that's you know in the course of we start. I started with CAO in '96, and finished in 2010, and so yeah. So when that happened, what was your mentality? Was was that the catalyst for you going ahead and starting Crownheads, or did you not know what the next step for you was going to be in the industry? You know, we, some of us internally at that time. Um, you could see the writing was on the wall, right? It was they weren't going to move General Cigar to Nashville, so you knew CAO was going to adios to Richmond. So we had about a year of kind of trying to figure things out, and a lot of people were asking me what I would do next. And I just my philosophy at that time was always, I'm just going to ride this wave all the way to the shore. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to trust that God's got a plan for me, literally. And um, so I, I really never really, you know, I had some opportunities, but I didn't really pay any attention. I just wanted to focus on closing it out, you know, kind of a thing. And in betwixt and between all of that, um, my boss at the time, Mike Condor, um, he basically just subtly just said, hey, when this is over, do you want to do something? I'm like, I'm in. Because, I mean, Mike and I had a great working relationship and um, a great personal relationship, too. So we just... I just like, okay, we'll figure it out, you know, so we'll, we'll close out this chapter. And then like, literally like four days after I left the office at CAO, um, Mike and I had our first meetings and to develop what eventually would become crowned heads. And what were those early days at, at crown heads? Like, like hmm. trying to figure everything out. Still? Yeah. It's, it's a big undertaking. It's like one of those, be careful what you wish for. You might get uh -huh. it on this because you're literally starting with a blank canvas and you got to make sure that every paint stroke goes where it's supposed to be because you don't have a, a do over. Right. You got to get off on the right foot. So the early days really were devoted mostly to just creating the company's philosophy. We didn't know who was going to make the cigar. We didn't know what the, the company was going to be called. We just wanted to say, OK, if we're going to do this. What does it look like? What's the philosophy? And we literally did this whole exercise of white sheets of paper and trying to figure out what was the. When you boil it all down, what are we trying to do here? And that took us a better part of a month of, of meetings. And um, we realized that what we really wanted to do was create something bigger than cigars. We wanted to create an aspirational brand. We wanted people to follow us along a journey. And we wanted people to say, hey, if those guys could do it, you know, that, that inspires me to aspire to that, that whole thing, too. So that's how we started. And then we announced it. So we, that took us from, you know, the holidays in 2010, like late December, all the way up until we announced the company in February. And then after that was done, we had a name to it. And we announced that we were forming, formalizing this company called Crown Heads. It was like, who's going to make the cigars? <laughs> so then that, that became a, a little road trip down to Central America. And we, we took some meetings in Miami and in Central America. And then we had to come back and evaluate all of those opportunities that we had because i mean the reality is that we both had relationships in the industry um and so we had some some choices to make and we we did a very pragmatic approach as to who would make the cigars for us and when we evaluated all the opportunities we came down to ernesto perez carrillo and then we were like okay and the only problem is he's not making a contract brand for anybody he's only doing epc cigars he had launched in 2009 so I'm like, all right, let's give it a shot. And we called him up, pitched the idea to him, and he said, okay. And God bless. Thank God he did. Um, and then we went back down there 
and Ernie was, Ernie was very much, um, you know, look, I'll do this with you guys, but this is all on you. So if it works, it's to your credit. If it fails, it's on you, but you're not, I'm not going to sell you a car off the lot. You're going to build the car. You're going to build the engine, everything you're going to, I'll, I'll show you how along the way, but it's on you to do it. And I loved that. I loved that approach because that's exactly what I wanted to do. I didn't want to have somebody put three cigars in front of me and say, pick one and we'll put a band on it. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to do it from the ground up. And that's exactly what Ernie wanted to do. And we did. I mean, literally, we would he'd break it down to like tobacco from Esteli. This is Lijero from Esteli. This is Lijero from Esteli. These farms are 10 miles away. Tell me the difference. And we would learn how to validate the tobacco and try to work it into a blend. And it was a process. It was kind of like getting your master's degree, really. Um, it was a complete departure from what I was accustomed to in my previous company. So um, it was it was fun. And that, that became Four Kicks. And we released that in November of that year. When you were talking about having to develop your company philosophy, and that's what you developed first before you got to creating any product, what kind of things did you put into that philosophy? Because I know there's a term in business called EOS, which is entrepreneurial operating system, which is okay. like creating, I know it's like a fancy term, which is right. basically your company philosophy vision. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that defined, then how can you really guide yourself in, in business? And you kind of just wander all over the place. Yes. Um, fine. So how did you, you know, to that, to that point, it, it's kind of like building a house, right? Like you got to have the foundation right before you can start putting up the drywall and, and building the pool in the back. You got to have that has to come first. And so our idea was that if we define the philosophy precisely and adequately enough that everything we do going forward had to line up with those values. And if they did, we had a pretty good chance at succeeding. So, Anytime we put the brand on a cigar or a T-shirt even or whatever, it had to it had to say who we were. It had to be quality and it had to be authentic above and beyond everything. And that was Mike and I's approach was authenticity was first and foremost. We're not, we weren't going to try to pretend to be something we weren't. We were going to be very transparent. We were going to be very authentic. And this is what you see is what you get. And that was... You know, it came down to the mantra that we still use to this day is carve your own, carve your own path. Um, when the rules don't make sense, carve your own path. So, and we still adhere to that to this day. And so we still, those, that time spent the, building that foundation has really been paid off tenfold um, over the last decade because it's really helped us adhere to those core values. And, you know, there's never any temptation to stray from them to this point. And then why did you settle on the name Crown Heads? Was there any other name kind of almost that you held on? Yeah, there was a lot of names. Um, That was the first thing I was tasked with was what we're going to call the company. And, um, you know, I would come up with some names and I'd text them to Mike and Mike would like some that I didn't and vice versa. And then there was a few names that we both liked that the attorneys said, you can't register this for various reasons. And then literally one day I'm just like watching the movie – Wizard of Oz, and I noticed in this one scene, and when it was before it goes to color, on the side of this caravan, it said crowned heads of Europe, past, present, future. And I just snapshotted that and I texted it to Mike. I said, What about crowned heads? He said, I like that. I said, Yeah, I do too. I, I think there's something there. And it was, well, the, the goal was to have something ubiquitous enough 
and ambiguous enough that A, it would ask people, make people ask the question, what is Crowned Heads? And B, that we could take that name, establish excellence in the cigar category. And if we wanted to, we could have Crown Heads Spirits or Crown Heads Coffee or whatever. It wasn't like Condor Huber Cigar Company. You know, it wasn't like pigeonholed into that, that box. So that's literally where the name came from. And after we announced it, a lot of people had theories that the C and the H stood for our last names, Condor Huber. Um, they also said that crowned heads referred to the way that Cuban cigars are triple capped into crowned head. But the truth of the matter is, it just was, I just saw it on the Wizard of Oz and <laughs> it worked, you know? So it, it's, uh, it's, it's stuck. Well, and I know your company is based in Nashville, which is mm. definitely different. And that's one of the things I, I like about you all because so many cigar companies are based in Miami because it's yeah. a port city and closer and it's easier for them to get from there to the Dominican Republic or wherever right. they go and easier for them to get tobacco in and all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. So what does being based in Nashville kind of give you in terms of an advantage or that uniqueness? Well, geographically, Nashville is like within, I think, a certain radius of two thirds of the states in the United States or some, there's some thing if you look it up. So it's in terms of shipping from here to the United States, it's, it's fairly convenient and logistically and geographically. Um, really, I mean, what I like about Nashville is just, there's always a, a, a very creative kind of a vibe to it. You know, everybody goes music city and this and that, but um, there's, you know, you could be creative in terms of culinary. There's a lot of restaurants here music obviously art um it's just got a very creative vibe to it and i mean obviously we we were set up here before with cao so that's why you know it was just a simple thing to like stay with who brought you to the dance kind of a thing and i had no you know uh desire to leave nashville i mean it, it's been my home um my son was living here my my wife uh who was my girlfriend at the time was here i'm like there's no way i'm leaving any of this so we set up shop here. I remember there's this famous cigar press cover with you mm -hmm. and a lot of other quote unquote boutique people at the time who yeah. are now still around and you all are far bigger than I think, well, like I said, what the definition, old school definition of what boutique in the cigar comp category means. Yeah. So, how has that whole world of boutique kind of changed since you first launched crown heads until now well i remember that cover it, that was kind of like that was a very uh impactful magazine cover because it really it said the unusual suspects and it was it was pete dion uh matt jonathan drew um myself and it was one other cat i can't remember his name but at any rate um, and that kind of was like the, the first recognition of this new guard, this new vanguard that was coming through. And the fact that we're all still doing this, you know, 10, 11 years later, it's, it's a testimony to, to that movement at the time. Um, you know, obviously Pete and Dion have done very well. John has done extremely well. I mean, everybody and Matt is still doing it. So, um, it's just, it's, it's interesting kind of a snapshot into where the beginning of the new kind of movement and for lack of a better descriptive it was called boutique at the time but i don't know if boutique is you know really a valid term anymore um 
it, it, you know, it's, it was just a different way of doing things. Right. It was like, it wasn't guys in, in fields looking at leaves. It was, here's these, the younger generations way of doing it. You know, none of us were really trying to reinvent the wheel. We just kind of took the wheel and put our fingerprints on it. I think is what happened and we're still doing it. Yeah. I think it was, a, uh, when I interviewed Rafael Nadal last year, or the year before he said, you know, boutique to him was more of an attitude than it was. Yeah. A he says you have to, to think in a boutique way is it's a very unique way. You're not thinking in terms of like a big corporation right. way. And, and, you know, I always, like I said, I always, when I got into the industry in 2010, boutique was not a bad word. It was mm -hmm. just a way to say, oh, these people are boutique, you know, like as if to say like, they're not as important or they're smaller. Right. Something like that. And now I always, I always thought boutique was more of like an, an obsession and an attention to quality mm -hmm. as opposed to mass production of any particular item. That's why I, I kind of think boutique is a apt descriptor. But I mean, truth be told, there was I think the boutique movement existed well before any of us got into the to the mix. Um, you know, I would go back to as early as like the late nineties. There was a guy, Tony Barani which I think he was a boutique guy. Um, he had this brand called Bahia. And I, to this day, in 1998, a Bahia Gold Robusta that I smoked is still one of the best cigars I've ever smoked, hands down. Um, and then, of course, you've got Ernie, who's kind of like Ernesto, who's like the godfather of boutique, right, when he started with La Gloria Cubana and everything like that. So that, that movement was always there. It was just that here's these guys that kind of put a face to it, I guess. You know, and back then, like, nobody had tattoos. So that it kind of made us stand out a little bit more. Now everybody's got tattoos. You can't go into a restaurant without the chef being fully sleeved and everything. So it's not that big of a rebellious idea anymore. But yeah, we just looked differently and we just had a different approach to doing it. But I don't think that that we were doing anything different than than the Baranis and the Perez Carrillos that came before us. And have you seen retailers' attitudes towards Crown Heads and other quote like? <clears throat> Brands that were like on that cover obviously change over time because when I speak to retailers now, sometimes they say the bigger the company gets, the harder they are to, to just engage with, not necessarily work with, but sure. it's like it's harder for them to get the attention that they want. And they like uh, companies like Crown Heads and Room 101 and La Barba and, and Caldwell and stuff because they said that if they reach out to them, they're probably going to get the person in charge rather than, you yeah, know, go up. Absolutely. Level. But that, I mean, listen, I mean, we've, last year was our biggest number in terms of sales, but that hasn't changed the way we, we approach customer service at all. I mean, we still are very accessible. We're still, I mean, I spend a good time of my, my day responding directly to consumers that DM me or tag me or whatever. And that hasn't changed and it won't change. You know, I, I just think that whatever business you're in that people deserve to be treated the way you would expect to be treated from a, a customer perspective. Um, and I support companies outside of the industry that, that have shown me that same kind of level of service. And in this day and age where you, you, you know, you, you try to call a company and it's like, press one for this, press two for this press, right. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to shine and to, to really become a star in terms of customer service by just taking a phone call or just returning an email on a timely basis or, you know, whatever. So, I mean, that, that was always one of the pillars of what we wanted to do going forward was provide excellent customer service just because it's 
It's just supporting people that support you. So that that hasn't changed for us, even though we've grown. You know, to give you a gauge, like when we first started in 2011 shipping cigars, it was literally to 66 different doors, all of which either Mike or I had personally asked to support Crown Heads. So we had, you know, obviously relationships with these 66 doors. And now, I mean, I think we're in over 1,200 doors, um, and that excludes Canada, Germany, Belgium, you know, Malaysia, uh, Dubai. I mean, these are all places that we're in now as well. So, but we still have the same level of customer service. And I still, if it ever gets back to me that, that some, you know, hey, I reached out to your rep, he never called me, which doesn't happen. But if it did, that would be my first call. Like, hey, what, what are you doing? You know, talk to this guy. But we have a very, very good team of guys that, that, that are very good at customer service. So despite the fact that we've grown exponentially, the level of service we provide is still the same, if not better. We actually have a um, comment from a, a viewer um, from A-Dub says, love crown heads. How do you find the balance of releasing new cigars while maintaining interest in core lines? Excellent question. Excellent question. And that is a very difficult line to walk, to be honest with you, because when we first started, I was completely opposed to LEs and one-offs. And I was just like, oh, no, we're just not going to do that. We're just going to build brands and build brands. And, you know, and so our, you know, kind of our template since uh, 2014-ish has evolved to where it is now, where limit annual seasonal limited releases has become part and parcel to our business. And it's financially necessary. It's growth necessary. But how do you, to this gentleman's question or this woman's whoever question, um, how do you balance and keep the, keep the plate spinning over here on four kicks while you're releasing uh, Las Calaveras? It's just difficult, but we try to do that. What we've done recently is really kind of hyper-focused the brands that we do have to this point to just maybe four or five and then the limited edition releases. So we've kind of put other brands on the back burner Put a hyper focus on other brands and then drop the seasonal le's like this year so far we've done juarez shots which is an extension to a regular production line um we've done mil diaz Marinitos, which is going to be shipping that's a limited release of an existing line so a lot of times these are just extensions to regular production lines that we hope shine the light back onto that regular production line so more often than not it's it's like that even though it feels like we're constantly dropping le's nine times out of 10, they're things that we are shining onto an existing regular production brand. Yeah. I know one of my favorite seasonal releases is the Las Calaveras mm. and just this, there's a story behind it. And I think yeah. and that's another thing that I kind of like about you all, like whenever I get a press release um, or come across a press release from you all, that is, it always has a story attached to it. So it's not just, here's a new product by <laughs> you know, which I think a lot of yeah. them, somehow sometimes they get caught in that and then there's just not a real story behind it. And it, it kind of it's hard for me as a consumer, at least to connect with that product. 100%. There's like a cool story behind it. Then it's just like I have more reason to spend my money on it. So just talk about Las Calaveras in particular, because I thought that that story is so unique. And how did that cigar come about? 
So Las Calaveras was an idea I'd had a while ago of just, it was never existed in my brain as like a day of the dead thing or anything. It was always like, I realized the longer I was in the industry that the, the more frequently there were people that were passing and you know, that I'm like, man, I can't believe so-and-so is gone. And I was like, how do we, we build a brand that, that kind of recognizes the people we've lost in an homage type of a way and not a mournful type of a way, like a celebration of life. And I'd seen this, this like print or etching or whatever in an airport in Mexico one year. It was like the Calavera de Katrina and it was like the this this, this etching. And I was like, that that's kind of cool. Maybe we could do something around like a sugar skull, but not make it a day of the dead thing. So in 2014, um, in January, I went down to my father's cigars with my good friend, Pete Johnson. Pete was instrumental in, in, in getting us in the door there. And I'd, I'd wanted to do cigars with them. And so I went down there with Pete and I was sitting down with, with Jaime Garcia. And I said, I got this idea. And I told him what the idea was. And that's what we started working on. And that, that first release was going to be Las Calaveras. And I really didn't know if it was going to be a, a one-off or what, but I wanted to do that. During that meeting, we also discussed what would become Jericho Hill, what would become Tennessee Waltz. It was a very productive meeting. But that first release of Las Calaveras in 2014 was really, I think it was 72,000 cigars. So I didn't know what it was going to do. And then I, I kind of attribute part of the explosion to Half Wheel. They gave that Robusto a, a 94, which was unheard of at the time. And from there on, it just was like, it blew up. So like, well, I guess I got to do this again, you know, in 2015, make, you know, let's do it again, but I want to make it better. So that was the idea of like changing the blend, changing the sizes slightly each and every year, and then going back to the previous year and saying, okay, so-and-so passed away, so-and-so passed away. Let's put their initials on the band. This is the tribute to their lives. And that's what we've done um, every year. And it's unfortunately, there's never a loss of initials that we could choose from because it seems like the older I get, the more people, not only in my personal life, but in our professional lives or celebrities or artists or whatever that pass every year. And it's just like, it's kind of a, a mixed blessing to, to pay homage to them. I wish I didn't have to do it, but it's, uh, it, I find it necessary. Is there a particular cigar in Crown Heads portfolio that besides Las Calaveras that really has meaning to you or is, I don't want to say a favorite, but kind of stands out. Yeah. You know, that's, it's, I've been asked that before. And to be honest with you, it's kind of like saying to somebody that has a bunch of kids, like, who's your favorite kid? You know? Yeah. It's a Sophie's choice. <laughs> You're right. It's very difficult. I, you know, they all have a special place in my mind or my heart for whatever reason. I mean, the 14 will always be special just because it was the, the birth of, of what became a very large brand for us. It's hard to call it a limited edition. It's to me, I think at its peak, we did close to 140,000 cigars. So in some factories or some brands, that would be like a really nice annual regular production release. And we just happen to sell it all in three days. So we've scaled back a little bit. So we're, we're tickling around 100, 110,000 cigars in the last couple of releases. Um, at the 19, it holds a special place in my heart because it's the one year that we did not do four different initials. We just did one um, person. We paid homage to one person in 19, and that was John Osgener. Um, he passed in 18, so we made the 19 for him. 
It's got his initials and it's got some abbreviations of different sayings. Like I referenced, make it happen. Um, talk is cheap is another one of his, his famous sayings. And that's on there as well. So the 19 is, is special to me too. Um, Cause that was for Jono. Uh, but they're all, it's always a, a fun project to work on. Um, you know, a lot of people have speculation, oh, what colors are going to be this year? What's the blend <laughs> going to be this year? So it's fun to get into that, that uh, excitement as we wrap up towards that, that season, which is coming up fast. I mean, typically we've always released Calaveras in May, June. So we're, we're on target to do the same thing this year. So that's coming up quickly. Yeah. And, uh, in, in terms of your branding, I always feel like you all aren't like married to like the old traditional way that a cigar band has to look like right. there's so many different designs. And, and I mean, like you break the mold, like you're, yeah. you're not stuck to just, you know, it's not like I have a the Siri E here. Mm -hmm. For those of you who can see if I can get. Yes. I'm very different from Juarez, very different from Las Calaveras in the design. Intentional. But it makes out, and I think that that's a great, you know, a way to like, how do you approach branding? Because I know that some people will feel like everything needs to look the same or have the same kind of logo on it, the same yeah. kind of look. Or, or else the consumer will get confused, yada, yada, yada. And there's there's some some validity to that, but that this goes back to the name Crowned Heads. Um, the concept was always like Crowned Heads would be the band, and then we would release this album, and it would the album cover would look like this, and it would sound like this, and then the next one would be a different vibe, different sound. And we wanted to – I didn't want to like – put myself in a box and close the box and just say, okay, it has to be crown heads, this crown heads, that crown heads, this crown heads, that I wanted to have the creative latitude to create different things. And that's why we did it this way, um, which has pros and cons to it. But it, it what I, you know, in, in the old life, it was very much like, you know, in the old days, and I'll use CAO, for example, like it was, CAO Brasilia, CAO Italia, CAO this, CAO that, CAO, and you were kind of stuck in this box, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to have that box bust the lid wide open and say, okay, I, this year I feel like doing this, and uh, this is what we're going to do, and Crown Heads is the band, and this is the album we're going to drop. So early on, what the challenge to that was, people didn't realize that Crown Heads was the company, and they were like, well, is Four Kicks the company? Is, is Headley Grange the company? So it took a while to really have people connect the dots and know that Crown Heads has all these different brands underneath them. But I wouldn't change it. I mean, I really, I, I liked having, and I still like having the creative latitude to create new and unique, not only blends, but brands. You know, I, I never wanted to, like I said, put myself in a box and close the lid and, and be stuck in this, this, thing that was expected of you. So, I mean, like I said, pros and cons to it, but um, it's worked for us. Um, and now 10 years later, we've kind of developed enough brand identity and company identity that people realize, oh yeah, Crown Heads, I love the Lamperioso, or I love Jericho Hill, or I love, uh, you know, Four Kicks or whatever. So it's, it's but it, it was, initially it was, it was, a, it was a challenge, it was a struggle. Um, talk a little bit about your partnership or work with um, Ace Prime because mm -hmm. I've seen that, that kind of balloon in recent years. So how did that come about and what is it about? So um, back in 17, 
uh, we were at the trade show and which is the one i don't know if it was ipcpr or it was a pca at the time but it was a, the one in vegas and we had just hired our national sales manager miguel Shodell. um and he approached me and said hey i've got some friends that i've known for a while they want to give you some cigars and they have a factory in Esteli." I'm like, okay, you know, that's part of the show. You kind of network, you meet people, you, they give you samples, and you really don't, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, thank you very much, and you smoke them, whatever happens, happens. But we were already very much in bed with Ernie, Ernesto Perez Grillo, and the Garcia family. Um, and so I meet Luciano Morales and Aradio Pichardo. I sit down with them, we talk, and very pleasant, what have you, and they gave me some samples. And I thank you guys, you know, I appreciate it. Good to meet you, whatever. And the next morning I came down and I went into my bag to smoke something. And I said, let me try one of these samples. And I, I just noticed that the wrapper was like immaculate. It was a beautiful wrapper. And I was like, man, and I lit it up. And I'm like, man, this is pretty good. It's got some, it's a little aggressive, but it's got some potential. You can round out the edges. You might have something here. But then you always think, okay, did these guys just roll five perfect cigars or can these guys do this on an ongoing basis? Because I had never heard of them whatsoever. Um, they were just friends acquaintances of Miguel's. So I kind of like, okay, cool, whatever. And um, we stayed in touch. And we, in the background, when I get back to Nashville, in the background, our German distributor had asked me to do a uh, an exclusive for Germany. And so I would send them samples of cigars that I thought were very good. And they would like literally everyone, they would veto it. I finally said to him, I said, Salia, so what is it that you want? He goes, well, I, I like Jericho Hill. Do, give me something like Jericho Hill. I said, all right. So I go back to Luciano and Aradio, and I say, hey, I might have an opportunity to do some business together. Um, we do a cigar called Jericho Hill. I send some samples or whatever. I said, do your version of it. I'm not going to art direct it. Just give me what you your take is on this cigar. And I, I didn't mention anything about tobaccos or nothing. They send me the samples. I, I smoke them. I'm like, wow, these are really good. Send, send them to Germany. About a week later, yeah, it's not so good, not, <laughs> right? And I'm just, at that point, I'm like, okay, Germany on the back burner. <laughs> We're not doing anything here. This is, they don't like anything. So uh, a little while later, you know, Mike, uh, business partner, Mike Condor, he comes to me and he says, hey, we have an opportunity with uh, Thompson Cigar Company. This is before they were acquired by, I think it was CI. And they want us to do a catalog exclusive. Do you have anything that's in you know the, that taste profile that we could cost engineer to make sense for these guys. I'm like, actually, I've got this blend that Germany just passed on that I think is really freaking good, man. I think it's excellent. Um, and so that's what happened. We we sold that to to Thompson as Juarez, which was a riff on our own Jericho Hill brand, and they just sit on it for like eight months. Like nothing happens. It's like nobody knows about it. It's just like you we just put this thing in the universe and crickets. So fast forward to 2019, about two weeks before we go to the trade show again, we're about to launch La Coalition, which is a state. And Mike's like, hey, is there anything else we can add to the mix? I said, you know, I, I honestly think that this Juarez cigar that we're sitting on is golden. I think it's fantastic, you know? And I said, why don't we try to just, we have no, you know, uh, contract or anything let's just sell it let's just see what happens so we literally took boxes of it with no marketing collateral no nothing and i told the guys i said just give it to your customer have them smoke it and see what they think and we went crazy with it and 
funny now what two, two three years later now that cigar sells really well in germany and everybody loves it and i said you know you had the chance to to do the exclusive on this and uh, yeah, okay whatever so but now everybody loves it over there so that was the start of our relationship with uh with ace prime and um going back to those samples i referenced in 17 we i was really interested in that particular cigar and i, I told them let's play around a little bit with the blend let's try to round it out a little bit it's a little aggressive um, and so, you know, off and on, we would work on samples and they would send me stuff to smoke and it was good, but it wasn't there. And then in January of 20, um, Lou Channel sent me some samples and he says, I think you're going to like this. And I just smoked it and I'm like, wow, wow, this is, this is fucking really good, man. This is really, really good. I like this. This, this is it. And it was like that aha moment that became Mildeus. So I, I took that blend and I was trying to create the backstory to this blend. And I was like, man, this took us about three years off and on to really get to the point where we're both good with it. And um, so that's why I mean, a year is like a thousand days. So I called the Mildeus and we, there was no trade show that year in 2020. So we just literally like just kind of organically launched it. And we never had a big launch thing at the trade show. And that's become like probably our best selling cigar. And so the follow-up to that was Siri E, which we launched last year. And yeah, we've been doing it. What's been nice about working with that house is that it gave me the chance to go back in the, in the sandbox and play again, because in 2015, um, my father basically said, my, my father's cigar said, look, we're going to keep doing Jericho. We're going to do La Periosa and we're going to do the annual Calaveras with you. But right now, we're at max capacity. We really have no more room for new brands, new extensions, nothing. We're like full. So I'm like, okay. So I'm like handcuffed there. And then since then, Ernesto at the Bacalera La Alianza has gotten like one number two cigar of the year, two number one cigars of the year. And immediately like he's on back order for millions of cigars. And he's like, guys, I, I, I don't really have room to grow here with you guys. We'll keep doing what we're doing. So I'm like, Man, so like all of a sudden, I don't get to create anything new now. Ace or Tobacco Larry Pichardo comes along, and like, yeah, we can we can do whatever you want. Okay, so now all of a sudden, you know, light bulbs are going off, and we're doing Mother Church for JR. We're doing the the Lost Angel for the TA exclusive. Uh, I did HGK seventy six for uh, Hawaii. So it's been fun to be able to like have an idea and actually make it happen with these guys, and it's given me that opportunity again where i don't have those opportunities with the other places so it's been it's been fun we swear it feels like we've been working with them for eons but it's only been <laughs> like less than three years i guess so um but it's been a very productive three years on the subject of creativity i know that you all produce a lot of interesting swag items like the hats mm -hmm. and shirts and stuff like that like and more so, I think, than any other really cigar company because you offer it for sale on your website. Yeah. So how important is 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 having those swag items and the creativity and giving people who like your brand the opportunity to kind of represent you all wherever they are through buying the hats and the T-shirts and everything else in between? Yeah. Well, for me, it's it's fun. It's another creative outlet, and that's that's what gets me going. So I, I, I design everything so um you know it's just it's the whole reason why we put it on our website to be perfectly honest with you was we just wanted to establish a value 
to the brand because we were giving most of it away. We would be like, okay, you know, the guys would go into a store and, okay, if you buy a box, you can have this hat, you know, gift with purchase type thing. But we didn't really know what was the value or what it was worth. So I'm like, let's put it on the website. Nothing's going to happen. But at least we can point to it and say, okay, that's a $35 retail value thing, whatever. Since then, it's really kind of become, you know, I mean, I just wrote out thank you notes. I, that's something I do is I write out thank you notes to everybody that buys anything from us in terms of merchandise and apparel. And I had a stack like I did, and I just noticed, I'm like, this one's going to California, this one's Hawaii, this one's actually Canada, this one's in Kuwait. So it's become like this thing, and it's just been fun. You know, we've never uh, repeated the same design twice. Well, at least change the colorway. And it's just, I've got a stack, i got a file right here, in fact, on my desk of just, Designs we've done in the past. This is all of them. <laughs> and stuff that's in production and stuff that's in the queue. And it's just another extension of the brand. And my whole idea was like, I want to create, you know, hats and t-shirts that are cool enough that even if somebody doesn't smoke our cigars, they're like, I want to aspire to that brand. I like what their ethos is. I want to buy a hat. I want to become part of that brand. And by default, it's walking advertisement. So when somebody's walking around with a crown heads hat, it's like, you know. It's, it's advertising the brand. So it's, it's been fun, man. It's been really fun. I got a message from a friend of mine that said a couple of weekends ago, he had on one of our Ebbetsfield flannels, CHC hats. And you know, some guy just offered me 50 bucks for this hat off my head. And I'm like, did you take it? He's like, no. I said, you should have, you know, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, I think that's what I like again about your philosophy and your approach to business, because if you look at your apparel that you design, you can wear it anywhere and you, like you said, if you're not a cigar smoker, you might still like the branding and stuff like that. And you're not going to feel awkward because sometimes yeah. you get you get swag from different companies and it's something like it just screams like cigars or smoke. Right, right. You want to bring that type of attention to yourself. In yeah. And you have to like really sit there and think, do I really want to wear this? Am I ready for the questions? Am I ready to put myself out there? But with what you all put out there and just like you said, with whole approach to the crown heads being an open you know open range and mm -hmm. wide open that 50 you know 20 years from now when something happens to the cigar world and you all have to shift into another category yeah right i always said if the cigar thing doesn't work out we can we can start our own you know apparel company exactly um, yeah no it's it's been fun man because you know ever since i was a little kid literally like five six years old i've always loved hats always like you know a treat for me would be like my mom would go down to the store called Ruth Atkins in downtown San Francisco and she would buy me a baseball hat. And that was, and I kept them all. I just, I started collecting, you know? And so now fast forward and I'm able to design hats with new era company or with Ebbetsfield flannels or with dome or whoever I'm using at the time. It's just been like, wow, this is really cool. It's kind of come full circle for me. And it's, again, one of those things where you make it happen. You put that energy in the universe and, you know, you'd be surprised what comes back to you. But um, I love doing the hats, man. I really do. I get I get geeked about it. I mean, I've got the best headwear rep here in Nashville that I met through another friend, mm -hmm. a gentleman named Derek. And he, I know I drive him crazy because I'll text him ideas at 6 in the morning. I'm like, dude, I had this idea last night. And this, can we do this? Can we do that? Here's a screenshot. And let's take this and riff off that. And. He's always so patient with me and he's so kind and um, and we do, we do a lot of fun stuff and I like it when people get geeked about it too, you know? So it's, it's, 
it's, it's, it's, an, it's a fun extension to the business and another creative outlet for me that I really enjoy. Um, as we get towards the end of the show, mm. I'll ask two particular questions of you. Okay. The first question is, um, how would you define your why? As in, how would you define what motivates and drives you to do what you do? Creativity. Like, I feel I know myself very well by now. Um, and like, if I don't have a reason to create, or if I don't have that outlet to put something out there, I've become a very bad person. I just, I'm not happy. I'm not, I, I, I've known this since I was young, very young, like teens, um, that if I'm just sitting there at a desk and, and, you know, somebody puts a stack of papers on my desk says, okay, I need you to do all this and that until the stack is this big. That's your job. I'm like waste of life for me. I can't do it. I just can't. I've, I like to create things. I like to take something that's in this space and have it become tangible and put it out there, right? So whether that be cigars or hats and T-shirts, whatever, that's what really, that's my why. That's why I do it is a creative outlet because otherwise I would be miserable. And the other question is someone comes up to you and they say, John, I want to start my own business. It's not necessarily a cigar business or anything with tobacco. They just have this idea for a business and they say, I want to start it. Mm -hmm. What's your advice to that person? Do it. Do it. Because even if you don't have to figure it out right away, you know, you just jump in the water, you'll figure out how to swim. And if you sink, at least, you know, you, you, you know, you failed. But the worst thing is to be not to get all morose on you, but the worst thing would be to be on your deathbed and go, God, I wonder what would have happened if, mm -hmm. right? Exhaust all those possibilities, do everything. Life is not promised and it's just do it, just go for it. And there's so many, you know, success stories out there of people that had that same philosophy. Like I, I just had this idea that I wanted to do this. I didn't know how I was going to get there, but I just went for it. And, you know, be, be surprised at the success ratio. You know, you don't have to figure everything out. It's just fear is the biggest thing that holds people back. I really, I've really learned that. It's like fear holds you back from everything. And typically the things that we create the fear about the most never really are that bad in the first place. Failure being one of them. It's kind of like, you know, when, you, when you're gonna go to the dentist and you just, God, this is gonna be terrible, what an ordeal. It's just, eh. And then when you're done, you're just like, oh, that wasn't so bad. It's not that, I built it up in my head to be this big thing and it really wasn't that bad. It's the same thing, I think fear, holds people back it stifles them and what's the biggest thing that can happen you could fail at something and then you try something else or you try again and, and that'd be my advice really you don't have i don't think you have to go to college and have a business degree and and nobody's going to write the playbook for you you just go out there and get on the field and, and get dirty and, and things happen usually good exactly for those people who are not watching this uh, and they might be listening to the audio version of this, could you tell people what websites and social media they need to know um, in order to connect with you and Crown Heads? So our website is terrible. I'll tell you that first and foremost. <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, I, I think we launched that website in 2011, maybe 12, and we haven't updated it at all. So it's it's as a business card, it's not very good. It's a it's a holding place. But you can get our merch on there. So it's crownheads.com. Um, as far as social media goes, it's Twitter and Instagram. Primarily Instagram is where I interact most. At the crowned 
heads. And I've gotten a lot of DMs like, uh, trying to reach John and, and I'm like, yeah, this is me. So yes, I do do all of the social media. I do respond to everybody. I don't farm that out. I don't have some kid in LA doing something for me or whatever. It's, it's me. Um, and I appreciate everybody that reaches out. So yeah, the crowned heads. Um, and the only reason it's D, it's not an ego thing. It was, there was a band in New Orleans that when we registered everything, they had crowned heads. I don't know if the band's still around, but they had already had the thing. So I had to put a duh in front of them. So there it is. Well, awesome. Well, I want to thank you for coming on for this hour and 25 seconds. <laughs> um, it's been My an awesome, awesome chat with you. And uh, like I said, you were one of those people that, I wanted to definitely have on this rebooted version of the show um, that's Thank off you. of Instagram Live. So uh, I'm really excited to have had this hour to kind of speak with you because I, 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 like I think before we went live, I, we were talking about the last time we saw each other and it was 2019 mm -hmm. uh, trade show. And I think I walked, I mean, I, I walked by your booth several times. I, we might have spoken then, but I know you were talking to Matt Booth when I saw you. So I kind of did like a little quick hello and, and goodbye and let you all have your conversation. So that's the fun thing about the trade show for me, honestly, is like, I, I don't write orders per se or anything like that. It's just, it's a chance for me to connect with, thank you. Um, chance for me to connect with like, not only the, the retailers that support us, but like my, my boy, my bros, my guys, you know, it's mm -hmm. like seeing Matt and Pete and all these guys, it's, it's fun, man. I just, cause I don't know if people realize this, but even though we compete on a field, so to speak, um, we're all really good friends. We're all very supportive of one another. And um, we all, you know, get on just great. We're all thick as thieves. True story. I mean, you know, I've known Pete since 96. I've known Matt since the early 2000s. And we're all still good friends. So it's nice to be able to, to do business and compete with people that you really care about and that you love seeing their success you know what i mean it's almost as good as if you were succeeding yourself yeah and i think that's what makes the cigar industry so unique is that that's not uncommon um, yeah there are it's, a lot it's, of, it uh, definitely like, has that fraternity feel to it there's definitely a fraternity yeah. feel you know uh there's a camaraderie to it and um which i don't know if you would find that in other industries you know it's pretty cutthroat in a lot of other businesses but man i'll, I'll be like if Pete gets something or, or, you know, whatever. I'll be the first one to text him, bro, you know, whatever. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. It's a great business. I love the people. Definitely. Well, I look forward to hopefully seeing you at the trade show this in a couple months. Um, you will in three months, literally <laughs> three. I think it's three months from tomorrow. I think so. So seeing, seeing you there and uh, catching up there and in person and off, off screen, but um, absolutely. I, Again, I want to thank everyone for watching today and or watching whenever you're watching this uh, or listening to this. And uh, if this is your first time listening, be sure you hit that like button or subscribe button on um, Facebook or YouTube or Twitter. Um, also, if you want to see all the other interviews, this is actually episode 79. So if you want to see all the other 78 episodes, you can go to www.deepcutslive.com and everything is there. Um, We'll have to have um, John on again later on uh, to love to uh, talk more about the stuff that we didn't get into this hour. But um, thank you again for watching. Thank you, John, for coming on. And uh, everyone tunes in next uh, week. We have two new shows. So um, tune in for those. And uh, 
watch this space for more fun interviews and information like this. Appreciate Thanks. it. I'll see you in Vegas. Yes, definitely. All right, man. Be well. You too. All right. Cheers. Bye.